All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What a wonderful man became known as Barnabas. We spoke about him last week. He gave sacrificially. The church had been born and had grown to probably 15,000 people by this time, and most of them were from other countries. So they weren't refugees. They had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival season between Passover and Shavuot, or Pentecost, and wound up staying because they had become believers. So this first church was just a megachurch. And uh, it was awesome. Anyway, um, because of them being out of town, it was expensive to live there. You know, they're running out of money, and so the church begins to share resources and pool resources and live communally. It lasted like this for eight years, and then persecution arose, and they scattered, and guess what? They went back home and preached the gospel and planted more churches, which is the way persecution works. It can cause the gospel to spread like wildfire. So here it is in a very special season. The church is forming. New disciples are being made, and they're having to give sacrificially. This is beyond tithe and offering. This is giving everything. Speaking of tithe and offering, a pastor in a, a community south of Dallas, a Baptist pastor, Pastor Dooley, got up one Sunday. He says, turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, but before we do, I have to report something very serious. I need all of your attention. He said, we've had a major theft. A lot of money has been stolen from the Lord's work. And you're in here today. But if you'll stand up, come forward, and ask for forgiveness, we will forgive you and not press charges. In stunned silence, he let the tension build. He said, well, actually, the stolen funds never actually hit the offering plates. For our text today says, will a man rob God? Malachi 3, wherein have we robbed you? You have robbed me in tithe and offerings. I thought it was a funny story, but it actually happened. <laughs> Thank you guys for your faithfulness in giving. So Barnabas sells some land and gives the total proceeds to the church. Chapter 5, verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. What does the name Sapphira mean? It's, it's a jewel name like ruby or jewel or pearl. It's sapphire, but nobody names their daughter Sapphira anymore. Why? Because of this story. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So he led them to believe he was going to sell some property and give all the proceeds to the church. He did that, but kept back part of the proceeds and was saying, yep, this is all there is. We know that by what happened. Then Ananias, verse 5, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. What a coincidence. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. No burial regulations in that day. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. So you see, this was a lie. The amount they gave, they said, was the amount the land brought. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, The feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Don't you pity those grave diggers? Gosh, I'm glad that was over. Oh, no, again? And the young men came in and found her dead. This is more than a coincidence, isn't it? Carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. The word there for fear is the word phobos. It's a word we get the word phobia. This is more than just a reverential respect. They were scared. And it was great fear. The word mega, mega phobia hit the whole church and everyone who heard the story. Verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's part of the temple, I believe, that had a roof over it. Kind of a long gazebo-type thing. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And the believers increasingly were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. You did not just join that church because you wanted to. You didn't join that church for social standing. You joined that church because the Lord saved you. Real conversions were taking place. Wow. What what a story. The Lord give us understanding today as to how it relates to us today. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us in such a way that we leave here with a greater respect for you and a desire to repent when we realize we're not walking in that. In Jesus' name, amen. This was God's judgment right there in the church. I'm going to speak to you today how to live in light of God's judgment. Can you say that? A text that kind of backs this up, 1 Peter 4.17, for it it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, the message of the Bible is there is coming a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. 
And we're in the day of preparation for that. The great day of the Lord is coming. But God judges his people now. And he gives the world taste of judgment where they could repent. So God's judgment is his kindness. So did he call this couple home early? I think he did. Because lying to the Holy Spirit is important. Does this mean every time someone lies to the Holy Spirit, they're going to keel over dead? Nope. Nope. It's just not a good idea. Not a good idea. The Bible gives a promise, honor your father and mother, that the, yet your days may be long in the earth. You want to live a long time? Honor your parents. Does this mean that everybody who dishonors their parents is going to have a short life? No, but it increases the likelihood that you will. So we're going to look at five questions. Did God do anything like this before? Do things like this continue in Acts in this book? Does God do such things in the now? Will he do judgments in the future? We talked about judgment day. And how should we live in the present? That's the big question, how to live in light of God's judgment. Did God do things like this before? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 says, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. This was talking about the forefathers of the Israelites, that God delivered them from slavery and led them to freedom through the leadership of a cloud by day and fire by night. And when they got to the Red Sea, he parted the waters. So through Moses' leadership, they were free. Verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Yep, this is the God of the Bible. Nor complain, verse 10, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Ananias and Sapphira, would that happen again? It once ought to be enough, don't you think? Learn from examples. It's God's desire. The greatest teacher is not experience. The greatest teacher is learning from the experienced. I have two little brothers. They did not make the same mistakes I made growing up because they learned from my example. They learned how to back up a car because of the mistake I made backing it up. They learned how to drive in the snow because of the mistake I made driving in the snow. They learned other things by examples. And so once ought to be enough. Cessationists said, Say, this kind of thing doesn't happen again because God just did it once at the beginning of the church. Kind of like the beginning of a marriage, you have a wedding, you'll never have that wedding again. It was just, just getting the thing started. So there's no more signs and wonders and no more judgment. Well, I don't think that's true. I'm a, I'm a continuationist. Does this kind of thing happen again? It can, I think so. Let's move on. In dealing with 
the text we read in 1 Corinthians 10 about the things in the wilderness being our example and God's judgment on his people, he then comforts us as the readers, says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. At every instance of God's judgment, there was also in those stories of the brazen serpent that healed them of the snake bites, of the parting of the Red Sea that kept them from drowning, of the sweetening of the poison waters, of the stain of a plague that had come against them. And each of those things are pictures of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. And so it is in our life when we are tempted to uh, be immoral or to complain or to uh, fall into some sort of idolatry, making a God out of something, pride or whatever it would be. God makes a way of escape so you don't have to yield to that stuff. He's a good God, amen? Amen. Do things like this continue in Acts? Yes, I'll, I'll just share three examples. I'm sure there are more. In the time allotted today, three will be sufficient. We'll be using the Action Bible, that great paraphrase with pictures. If you don't have one, you need one. Every home needs the Action Bible. Saul's conversion. He's on his way to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians. He had already overseen the killing of Stephen by stoning. And here he is intent on causing more havoc in the church, got in legal permission to do it, going there with papers to arrest them and harass them. And God blinds him with a light and says, this is Jesus speaking to him, Saul, Saul, why are you torturing me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting my people? Jesus takes it personal when his children are hurt. Did you know that? Saul wisely says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up and go in to Damascus, and you will be told what to do next. His people didn't know what happened. He knew, because he couldn't see. So he goes to Damascus, led by the hand, not knowing where he's going, and does not eat any food or drink any water for three days. I mean, this was a serious attention getter. I mean, you go without water for three days, you're pretty close to death. But he needed to stop doing what he was doing. And he asked, is a man named Ananias asked to see me? I've been praying. I had a vision of a man named Ananias coming to give me back my sight. Ananias came through a vision healed him of his blindness, scales, some kind of scales were on his eyes. Scales fell off his eyes. He baptized him, laid hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit, and he became a mighty preacher of the gospel. An amazing story of God's judgment that led to someone's conversion. This one, not so much. King Herod Agrippa killed the first apostle. He had uh, James, a brother of John. Remember the brothers, James and John, and Peter and Andrew? two sets of brothers. Well, James was beheaded, and he arrested Peter to do the same, and an angel delivered Peter. The church prayed night and day for Peter's deliverance. Well, later on in that chapter, Herod is giving a speech, and the crowd of unbelievers 
began to give him praise, he has the voice of a God and not a man. This is what scares me about politicians receiving uh, glowing reports that it could go to their head and they could become victims of their own press. He receives that praise. Yes, I got it going on. And look what happened. He accepts the praise of the people which have only been given to God. Immediately, God strikes him down. He lays sick for days while he's eaten by worms from the inside out. Within the week, he dies. You reckon during those days of sickness, he was crying out to the Lord? He could have. Could have led him to his conversion, but it led to others' conversions. With his death, the persecution of the church stops for a time, and the gospel of Jesus continues to spread throughout the land of the Jews. All right, one other example. is Elamus, a sorcerer. Paul is trying to preach the gospel to a person, and a sorcerer gets in the way, and Paul turns to him and says, you child of the devil, you're an enemy of truth, and you twist the right ways of the Lord. Now you will be blind. And the Bible says a mist came upon him for a time, and he couldn't see. How long was that time? I don't know. You reckon he cried out to the Lord in his blindness? Maybe. I don't know. But the main thing is the guy that was being hindered from hearing the gospel gets saved. Only God could do that. I believe what you said about Jesus. That's a sign and a wonder, isn't it? So can God do things like this today? I think so. In the now. Peter told the household of Cornelius later on in this book that Jesus had commanded them to preach to the people and to testify it is he who was ordained by God to be judge. Yes, Jesus is also a judge, not just a savior. He's also a Lord, not just a lamb. Of the living and the dead. Dead referring to judgment day, living referring to our day. So God can do what he wants. Well, my God doesn't do that. Oh, really? Maybe your God's not the God of the Bible. We're staying in the New Testament today. Marconianism was a school of thought that somehow thinks, hints, alludes to the God of the Old Testament no longer being the God of the New. It's like God has changed. No, it's the same God. This is what makes his grace so amazing. Because mankind is so depraved, so worthy of God's judgment, and yet he chooses to make an exception, withholding his anger. His anger is but for a moment, and he's slow to anger, to draw us to himself, to redeem for himself a people. This is why he has to judge from time to time, to show us judgment day is coming. This is a serious matter. If everybody's going to heaven like they are, then guess what? Heaven becomes earth too. Because believe it or not, in heaven we still have the power of choice. So it's here he's schooling us and chastening us and tracing, uh, training us in his word. Romans chapter 1, look at it in another time. Hopefully not today. You'll get lost in there. But it talks about, after talking about the gospel being the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to Gentiles, he talks about the wrath of God being revealed to humanity by turning them over to, deprave, to depravity, turning them over to reprobate or debased minds because they reject him and worship the creature more than the creator. 
So sometimes God's judgment isn't death. Sometimes God's judgment isn't blindness or taking you out. Sometimes God's judgment is letting humanity go their own way to its most extreme conclusion, and you get the foolishness we have happening in our culture today. God's judgment, his wrath is revealed by allowing depravity to take over so we can see we ain't so smart. Why? So that folks will get sick and tired of it and become believers. I need Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about the importance of reverence and communion. It says that some people die at an early age because they're not discerning the Lord's body. It's not that you take it perfectly, but that you have respect and love and reconciliation with your brothers and sisters. If you don't, you could miss out on the blessing of a long life. You could. Well, I'm just not going to take communion because I've got some enemies in the church. Well, that's, that really doesn't avoid the issue. It's not that the communion elements are poison. It's that the blessing of communion is not enjoyed when we do not walk in love and unity and harmony with one another. If someone's hurt you, you have to go to them and make it right. Communion is simply a reminder, hey, I got to get some things right with my brothers and sisters. When you see these things around, it's, it's a reminder that unity is so important. And then, of course, Hebrews 12. Let me just read a few portions from that. Um, verse 6 says, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening or punishment or discipline... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Unless you have a perfect child, I guess. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. How does he chasten us? Well, with his word first, just like parents. Right? Do you discipline your child with words first? Yes. That's the best kind. But if we don't pay attention, God can get our attention. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the fathers, father of spirits and live? Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We raised two children with chastening they are um, law-abiding citizens and serving the Lord. And then they had their own children, and they were not going to spank their children. And one day, uh, while visiting our, our daughter, uh, we had been out and came in, and the little boy was in timeout for pinching daddy. They're all a little bunch of sinners, you know that. Eventually, they had to start spanking the little guy. His daddy said, time out isn't working. If it doesn't work, change the strategy. With our daughter, a whisper was like a scream. With our son, a scream was like a whisper. God 
doesn't speak any louder than he has to. If, if God's speaking to you in an audible voice, that is serious business. Ask Saul, now known as Paul. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Hebrews 12. So does he do things in the now? I mean, right now. I could give you some examples that might, I just don't want to freak you out. I'll share two, all right? There was a pastor, and I believe teachers fall under a a stricter judgment. This man was a womanizer. We know his grandson. That's how we know the story from his father. He was a womanizer to the point he was neglecting his own children. He was abusing his authority, taking advantage of women. And one day, he was struck by lightning and killed. You reckon that was the Lord? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the judge. It's just not a good thing to be doing that. Another example happened right here in our own town. A young man came into our youth group who was a grandson of a man who had been abusing him for years, sexually abusing him since he was like three or four years old. He went to CPS at our urging and filed a report. A spiritual leader in this community uh, tried to depress his testimony. And because this leader had a lot of, a lot of influence and because um, he had been very cooperative on other cases, his word had a lot of weight to it. So he basically convinced them this young man's just in rebellion. He wants to run away from home. He doesn't want to abide by the rules that are under him. And he's making these things up. In a matter of days, that spiritual leader was gone from a brain fungus. Who gets a brain fungus? I don't know. Coincidence? Maybe. But the fact it was a few days, it's like, wow. And the fact Jesus had some harsh things to say about those that harm children. He said, it's better for you that you have a millstone necklace and you're thrown in the sea than you harm a little one. Because when you harm a child, you harm an adult, you affect a whole future. You jack them up really bad. He doesn't like that. Obstructing justice is a serious matter. Romans 13 says the police are God's ministers of judgment and that they bear not the sword in vain. Well, what if they go bad? Well, they have the Department of Internal Affairs. Hopefully, they're not corrupt to straighten that out because the police need to be policed as well. We all are under authority, and we all have judgment to deal with in life. If you have a home, you have to make judgment calls. So he can do things like that in the now. Will he do judgments in the future? What a question. What a question. Jesus more than once mentioned judgment day talked about a day when sheep will be be divided from goats and the sheep he'll say come in to the eternal rewards that have been prepared for you by my father i was hungry and you fed me i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was naked and you clothed me i was in prison and you visited me i was sick and you visited me but to the goats 
sent them to eternal damnation because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. So this is serious. How we live this life is really important, isn't it? Of course, things he said are seconded by the apostles in the epistles, in their letters to churches, that there is a judgment day coming. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many mighty wonders in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are people in the church ministering in the name of Jesus that one day are going to be surprised that just because God uses you, just because you see fruit from your ministry doesn't mean you have the right to sin and not repent. So how should we live in the present? In light of these things, we need to learn from the examples when things are, seem, you know, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's not, but examples. Jesus said in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, is the beginning of wisdom. And another place, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is, this is relationship with God 101, fear God. Now, this isn't to be immobilized by fear of God. You know, you, you can be so afraid you're frozen. But this is to live with a great respect for God, kind of like you have for lightning. If you have a great respect for lightning, you won't run around holding metal poles up as high as you can when there's arcs spreading across the sky. You just don't do that. Can you survive that? Yeah, but maybe not. Don't know. You don't horse around with electricity, stand in water and stick your fingers in a light socket. You don't do that. Why? You have a healthy fear of electricity. Some people have an unhealthy fear of lightning. You know, when it's lightning outside, they'll put blankets on all the mirrors and make all the kids sit down in the dark till the storm is over because we don't want to draw lightning. That's, that's really being so afraid you're not enjoying your life. So a healthy fear of the Lord. This is how to live in light of God's judgment in the present day. Have a healthy fear of the Lord. And number two, when you realize you haven't been fearing the Lord right, Repent. That's it, two-point sermon, fear the Lord and repent. Paul told some people on Mars Hill in Acts 17, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Just as we have assurance of eternal life through his resurrection, we have assurance of eternal judgment by his resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, 
Now I'm writing to you not to associate, don't hang out with or fellowship with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality, this is a lifestyle of immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Why? Because of two things. One, they may influence you. And two, they need to miss good, clean Christian fellowship so that they'll repent. Why should they repent if, they, if there's no repercussions for their actions? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? This isn't talking about unbelievers, it's about believers. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, our Sunday morning gatherings are open to the public. This service is a bridge between the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Anyone can come. But as you grow in Christ, we see God time and time again take people who are living in this kind of thing and begin to purify them, begin to change them, and raise them up into leadership and other things in the church. In conclusion, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore we make out our aim, whether present or absent. He's talking about when we die, we're absent from the body to be present with the Lord. When we're alive, we're present here and absent from the Lord, not in heaven with him. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, whether in heaven or whether here, to be well-pleasing to him. That's my desire. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's holding us accountable, saints. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in your conscience. So his effort in that letter is to persuade people to fear the Lord and to repent when they're not fearing the Lord. Repent means to change your mind, to change your life's direction, to make an about face. Where do you stand with the Lord? Have you been disregarding his will for your life? Have you been overriding the voice of the Spirit and quenching him? Have you been lying to the Holy Ghost? Repent. Learn from the example of Ananias and Sapphira. It is serious business. Don't be horsing around with God's love and grace for you. Receive it, walk in it, and allow it to have an impact on your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts in such a way that it applies to each person personally, that none of us think about somebody that needs to be here or somebody that's not here or what somebody would say or think or disagree with. What does your word say to us today? Help us, Lord, to learn from the example of Ananias and Sapphira that we serve an awesome God that is to be revered and respected greatly. Give us mega respect for you. May our lives reflect the values expressed in our songs, Lord, as we honor you and your worthiness and your greatness and your mighty power. Lord, may we recognize that as something to not take 
Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, I'm still here and haven't been taken out. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Lord, may we trust you with the things we don't understand and walk in the things we do understand. And know to fear you and to repent when we don't. And to persuade people that one day we will stand before your seat to give an account for the deeds done in our body. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that's living in sin, they're doing things with their bodies that, that are sinful, I pray, Lord, that they would hear the call to repent today, to put an end to this lifestyle. And if they need help and they can't stop, Lord, show them who to reach out to that will love them and not judge them, but care for them in such a way that they can learn to walk in freedom and victory, a life that is well-pleasing to you. Lord, help us to make it our aim to be well-pleasing to you. Fearing you, repenting, and pleasing you. In Jesus' name, amen. God cares about us so much that his son took the judgment of sin upon himself so that we could be redeemed and can go to heaven. So if this day is a wake-up call for you, heed the call. Let this word chasten you so that you do not have to experience the discipline of the Lord. Sometimes his discipline is simply reaping the consequences of rebellion. And he'll let it happen. God, how could you let this happen? He'll let it. Does this mean we'll, if we walk in obedience, we'll never have hard times? No. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. If we follow him, we'll have tribulation. He never promised us a rose garden. If he did, roses have what? Thorns. Live a lifestyle of pleasing the Lord by fearing him and repenting when we need to. Can we stand? I pray you have a great week, that you grow in Him in every way you do, that you take these scriptures and read them for yourself, that you not take my word for it, but you take this note card there in your bulletin and pay attention to it, read it, learn from it, allow it to have impact on you, because I want to go on in the book. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord God Almighty lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you learn the wisdom of the Lord by fearing him and repent when you don't and live a life determined to please the Lord. May you make him smile as he smiles upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, tigers. God bless you.